You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Today, uh, we have a great show ahead of you. Um, of course, today is Friday. We always do these podcasts on Friday now, as usual. And last night we had a Ravens game. So today is Friday the 13th. Unlucky, supposedly, but the Ravens um, having a pretty darn great time. Not sure if you'd call it lucky, but, you know, hardly unlucky to say the least. Again, today's Friday the 13th. The time of this recording is about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, now, before we get into the episode, as always, I want to remind you that you could subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to it on YouTube and Spotify. So please, whatever medium you are listening to um, the podcast on, make sure you subscribe there. Give us a rating, um, like, or, or whatever it is, depending on um, the outlet you're listening on. And of course, if you have any questions for the podcast, any any suggestions, I'd love to hear them. So you can put them on the YouTube comments or send me a tweet at Nest Talk on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Chris Linfon on Chris Linfont on Twitter. Sorry, I'm, it was a long night last night. Let's just say that because of the amazing Ravens win I was at, and we'll of course talk about that. Um, but again, you can find me at Chris Linfont. You can find the Baltimore Feather at Be More Feather, and again, you can find Nest Talk at Nest Talk on Twitter. And if you are looking to follow us on Facebook, you can like us on Facebook and follow us there as well. Uh, make sure you go to BaltimoreFeather.com for the latest Ravens news articles. As something big happens or anything really that I find important to talk about, um, you'll get it there. And, of course, you can subscribe to an email newsletter to get all the latest Ravens news uh, in your inbox. And, of course, every time we publish a podcast, too, then that will go to your inbox as well. We always put an article out every single time there is a podcast. But, again, I highly recommend you check out YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes um, to be distributed the podcast very well. They're all great platforms. Um, and yeah, it's great great to uh, make sure you're, you're, you have next week's episode and the weeks beyond that. So again, today is Nest Talk episode 56, and here we are on Friday the 13th. Usually we have a structure of every episode. We talk about a game that we just played, and then we look forward to the Ravens' next game. But the problem with that is since it's a Friday episode and we have a Thursday night game we just had, you know, we have two games we actually just played this week, technically, um, the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. Now, before we get into that, I think it's very important to note that the Baltimore Ravens are now AFC North champions, and I was there for the second year in a row when they did that. So congratulations to the Ravens. Now, this is huge. Um, you know, a lot of people, including myself, didn't think the Ravens stood much of a chance to win the AFC North this year. And look... You know, there's a lot of people, social media and other places that are going to say, you know, all these, quote, experts thought, you know, we, we were going to go 9-7, and, you know, this just shows that they have no idea what they're talking about. And to an extent, yeah, because no one really can can predict accurately what's going to happen every single season. It's just not doable, right? There's just too many variables on, on teams. There's too many variables in the league. You know, blown calls here and there. Games turn for ways that you don't expect on paper at the beginning of the season. Now, kudos to Adam Lefko, actually. I think he's a... I don't remember where he's from. I think he's Bleacher Report or something. But Adam Lefko, in August, called that the Ravens were not only going to win the AFC North, but win the AFC. And we're going to talk about clinching scenarios for the number one seed in the AFC. Um, so it looks like Adam Lefko is really the only one to have, 
you know, been on the Ravens hype train since day one. I know Rich Eisen um, was all aboard the Ravens train early in the offseason too, you know, but Lefko coming out of midfield and basically saying, you know, the Ravens are going to win the entire AFC in August, I didn't expect that. I didn't think he was right. I thought it was a, you know, it was a cool prediction that someone would believe in the Ravens, but I didn't think he was right. Full disclaimer, I picked the Ravens to go 9 and 7 and finish second in the division behind the Cleveland Browns that in my opinion would go 10 and 6, I believe it was. Uh, that didn't work out either way. I thought that the Bengals would be the the worst team in the division. Of course, that seems to be true. Um, you know, a lot can happen between now and you know, I mean, not really. Not much can happen at all, right? You know, but maybe they get they get they get a couple wins here. Maybe they beat the Patriots this weekend, and maybe that makes them you know better than the Cleveland Browns somehow because you know the Browns do suck terribly. Um, but it, it really is a strange year because you know all of us were thinking that the Cleveland Browns were going to be this super team on paper, right? Because Baker Mayfield had a fantastic rookie year. There's no way you can discredit him for that. Now I know. His sophomore year has not been very good at all, frankly. It's been one of the worst sophomore years I've seen from a quarterback. Can you blame it all on him? I don't think so. I think if you look, really, the entire problem, the biggest problem of the Cleveland Browns is Fred Kitchens. And they had the opportunity to go get Mike McCarthy. You know, Super Bowl winning coaches out there were open. And they go with Freddie Kitchens because he had one good season with Baker Mayfield. That's just dumb. That was just dumb. And you look at the plays he's designing, and they're not good. You know, they're basically everybody go deep, you know, backyard football kind of stuff. You know, we a lot of people classify Lamar Jackson as backyard football, but I wouldn't say that. I'd say, you know, he's an improviser. He's not, you know, draw a play up in the dirt and be like, okay, let's go do that. That's that's Freddie Kitchens. He's really derailed this, this Cleveland Browns team. That should be a lot better than it is, and he's very undisciplinary. We've seen what happens with Miles Garrett, and then he goes out wearing the shirt, right? Wearing the shirt, Cleveland. I'm sorry, Pittsburgh started it. So, not to get too off topic with the Browns here, but you know Baker Mayfield not a great year for him. The Jarvis Landry and OBJ combo not working out too well. That the undisciplined Miles Garrett. They didn't win enough games early in the year. Now they were trying to claw back, but they're the best they can finish is nine and seven. I believe they have seven losses. They're five and seven. No, that can't be right. Maybe they're, no, there's three weeks left, something like that, you know, six and seven or something like that. They have at least seven losses, so they're not going to finish um, a playoff team. Maybe they can finish a winning team or an eight and eight team. It's still in the, still in the possibilities here, but they're not going to be a playoff team. The Pittsburgh Steelers, surprisingly, you know, had a chance to win the division still up until last night at the end of the final whistle. Now, I didn't think the Pittsburgh Steelers would even be a winning team this year. And with Ben Roethlisberger out, I thought for sure they'd tank. Mason Rudolph looked terrible. But Delvin Hodges, look, I give him credit. Delvin Hodges coming in to a very bad situation with the Pittsburgh Steelers. No Antonio Brown anymore. No Le'Veon Bell anymore. James Conner's been banged up a bit. He really only has, like, Juju Smith-Schuster. And look, they've won some games with him. I think they're 7-5 and five right now. Some. Seven and six, something like that. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers do have a shot at making the playoffs here. Now, maybe we ruined that in the last week for them. That'd be fantastic. But they have no more shot at, at winning the division. And really, the Ravens winning this division is huge for them. It's back-to-back. It's two to start Lamar's um, career here in Baltimore. It's overall fantastic. And again, the media, no one in the media thought that this team, including myself, 
because we lost a lot of good pieces. There were a lot of question marks around what Lamar Jackson was going to do. A lot of people just thought it wasn't going to be a great team. And let me tell you something. If the Ravens stayed the way they were in the first four weeks when they lost to, to Kansas City and then Cleveland back-to-back in week three and four, this team would have been 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, nine and seven at best. Absolutely, without a doubt, they would have been at best 9-7. and seven. They had gaping holes at inside linebacker. The secondary was, I don't want to call it atrocious, but it wasn't good, right? Everything just felt like the Ravens were just missing pieces everywhere. And then Eric DaCosta goes out. He gets Bynes, Fort, Marcus Peters. He brings him in. Um, You know, Pernell McPhee gets hurt. Jalen Ferguson steps up. Now we've got... Uh, Jihad Ward, who's done, he even got a, a fumble recovery last night. We'll talk about that. But Jihad Ward has had some good plays for us. Justin Ellis is, is in there. Demata Pecos looked nice for us. I mean, all these players the Ravens brought in. Even You could even say DeAnthony Thomas, their term man, is a help. All these players the Ravens brought in midseason, during the season, have transformed this team from a 9-7 and team to now a 12-2 and team. Likely a 13-3 and team. I think we will lose the last game of the week. Um, I'm sorry, the last game of the year. And, you know, against the Steelers. And I'll talk about maybe why in our clinching scenarios section. But, you know, this team really was destined to go 9-7 and before Eric DaCosta pulled a few levers. And now we have an MVP frontrunner quarterback. Great offensive weapons in Mark Andrews. Mark Ingram, a much revamped defense, not the best defense in the league, but they're pretty darn good. We didn't, even, we, I mean, we didn't even need to stop the Jets much last night on offense. They were just giving us the ball at times. It was absolutely insane. The AFC North champs, I think they definitely deserve it, the way they've played this year, the way they've bounced back from adversity earlier in the year and have been on a 10-game winning streak. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they haven't lost from October on. It's December. It's it's almost the midway point in December, and they still have not lost since October. Since week four is their last loss. Ten games in a row. This is the absolute most insane run I've seen the Ravens ever go on. And look, I was here for Super Bowl 47. That run was wild in the playoffs, but... This regular season run, 10 straight, beating teams that nobody thought the Ravens in the in the offseason were going to beat. The New England Patriots, the Houston Texans, the Kansas— well, we didn't beat the Kansas City Chiefs, but we played them decently. I think right now, if we went up head-to-head with them again, we could beat them. The L.A. Rams got demolished. All these teams coming in here, and none of them have stood a chance. And we saw it again last night with the Jets, a 42-21 to victory. But before we talk really in-depth about the Jets, I do want to touch about on the Buffalo Bills game because it did happen. It is important. And it's not the game a lot of people saw coming, and there are reasons for it. Now, the Ravens won, and that's the main thing. But it was 24-17. to I think my official prediction was 30-22. to So I thought it was going to be close, but not really this close, right? Now, again, there are reasons I think the Ravens just didn't 
perform as well as normal. I think the first reason is the weather. Um, you know, there were 30 mile an hour winds in this game, and Lamar Jackson throwing the ball in those 30 mile an hour winds didn't work out so well. Um, 16 for 25, only 145 yards, but he did hit three touchdowns, had a pick though as well. Josh Allen didn't do well in the wind either. He had 17 of 39 passes completed for 146 yards and a touchdown. The run game was okay. Mark Ingram was our leading rusher with 15 carries or 50 yards. The best catch, though, of the day is really a run because Hayden Hurst took a, what was it, a 61-yard? Well, he took a short pass for 61 yards, essentially, and ran it for a touchdown. He was the leading receiver on the day. When you look at the box score, though, you know, it just isn't all that impressive. Lamar, 11 yards, I'm sorry, 11 carries for 40 yards. Gus Edwards, 4 for 20, just to sell 3 of 8. Mark Ingram had um, three targets as a receiver as well. He got three, all three of them as receptions for 29 yards. The other two touchdowns, one went to Nick Boyle, which was fantastic for Boyle because before this year, Nick Boyle had not scored a single touchdown in his NFL career, getting that huge extension, and of course now getting that touchdown to go with it is is really great for him. Um Boyle got a touchdown. Willie Sneed got a quick touchdown on a short route. I think it was only for a couple yards. Doesn't matter, though. Um, the Ravens found a way to win this game, though. And it wasn't necessarily through the passing game. It wasn't necessarily through the running game. Really, the defense honestly clinched it. And there was a point where we thought to ourselves, everybody watching thought that the Ravens' defense was going to choke this game. That's just the way it felt moving in. And when the refs started, you know, well, first of all, before the refs started really screwing the game over for us at the end, um, you had the Buffalo Bills driving when they were down 14. I'm sorry, it was 15, right? Because they had to go for the two-point conversion. It was something like that. And they they walk in for a touchdown, and all of us like, oh, no. You know, this defense, all of a sudden, just not tackling, not covering. Something's up. And then they on the next drive, you know, they get it back. They need a touchdown to tie it up. Because they got the two-point conversion on the previous drive. And flags just keep coming out. Penalty on the defense, penalty on the defense, penalty on the defense. And a lot of them were bogus calls. There were some calls in this game I agree with. But a lot of them were bogus. And there was some sort of like, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was it was Michael Pierce supposedly stepped on Josh Allen but he got – I don't remember the whole story, but it, it was – there was a whole lot of just stupid penalties that didn't make any sense. A whole lot of them. And the Bills walked right down the field, and they were maybe 10 yards out, and the Ravens held them. And the Ravens stopped them right there and then won the game. And why am I talking about this? Why is this important to understand for this Bills game? It's because two things. The Ravens of old, right, would not have stopped that drive. 2016, the Ravens lost a playoff bid on a last-second touchdown drive. Antonio Brown extends, you know, you all remember, on Christmas Day, all of us were watching, Antonio Brown extends his arm over the goal line, puts the Steelers in position to win the AFC North. The next year, on New Year's Eve... The Ravens' defense capitulates 
on fourth and 12. And let's Tyler Boyd walk right in for a touchdown to end our playoff hopes again. That's what the Ravens of old would do. The second thing is the Ravens of this past season would have done the same thing had we not revamped it. Because the one who made the final stop was Marcus Peters. If we had Maurice Kennedy, and listen, no disrespect to Maurice Kennedy, he played pretty darn well this year for what we had seen previously. But against John Brown, Maurice Kennedy would have gotten burned, and that would have been it. You know, I don't even know if Jimmy Smith would have been able to make the play. Marquise Brown, I'm sorry, not Marquise Brown, Mar- Marcus Peters, younger, more athletic, more ability to him to go up against a fast receiver like John Brown. And without Marcus Peters, without the defensive revamp, without Josh Bynes, LJ Fort, Jihad Ward, everybody, this defense would still be bottom of the league, and the Ravens would be nowhere near the first seed. They might not even be in the playoff conversation. And it just goes to show you that the Ravens want so much to win, they're finding ways to do it. They're finding guys that were not on this team, didn't have a shot at other teams, and Josh Bynes and LJ Fort. I mean, those guys were on the free agent market in the middle of the season. You tell me if there are high, high commodities. And the Ravens don't need to spend big money to get it done. That's what they found out. I mean, you look at the last night, for example, before we move on to the Jets game, I want to make this point about, you know, the the Ravens making great signings. Last night you had two running backs on the field most of the time, right? You had, on the Jets' side, you had Le'Veon Bell, and you had on our side Mark Ingram. Now, if you remember back to this past offseason, a whole lot of Ravens fans, a whole lot of them, really, really wanted to go spend $40, $50, 60000000 million on Le'Veon Bell. And a whole lot of those people were extremely disappointed when we went out and we paid $15 million to Mark Ingram. And you tell me, which running back has been better this year? Le'Veon Bell or Mark Ingram? Because the answer is obvious. Everybody knows that Mark Ingram has been having a fantastic year, while Le'Veon Bell has been having a terrible year. And maybe Le'Veon Bell could have done well on this offense. It's possible. I'm not going to deny it. You know, the Ravens' offensive line's flat out better than the Jets' offensive line. But the fact of the matter is, you don't need to go and spend $60 million on a running back. And last night was Le'Veon Bell's best game in a little bit, I think, because... You know, he averages 3.2 yards going into this game per carry. 3.2 yards per carry. Could you imagine? 3.2 for a $60 million running back? But he came out with 4.1 last night. Of course, it was meaningless. A lot of those yards came in garbage time. It was a crushing defeat. Of course, Mark Ingram is having a career year, honestly. He's approaching 1,000 yards rushing the season. He's at 963. He's 10th in the league in rushing. For $15 million over three years, that's $5 million a year. For a guy who's hyped up to be here, Le'Veon Bell, I don't even know if he wants to be in New York, right? He goes to New York, gets the flu last week, and then ends up bowling with the flu instead of flying out with the team. You know, if you're healthy enough to go bowling, I get maybe you're still not healthy enough to play football, but... At least travel with the team. Come on. Mark Ingram 
definitely wants to be here. You can tell, you know, the whole big trust, you know, Lamar for MVP. He's all over it. And I, I retweeted last night after I got back um, home a interview with, with Mark Ingram on the uh, field after the game with Lamar Jackson. You could just tell. He loves his team. He loves his quarterback. He loves playing for the Ravens. I can't say the same about Le'Veon Bell. And, of course, the production's not there either. Um, but going back to the Bills game, you know, I, I did say about that game, there's going to be a lot of rushing the ball. And I think I was somewhat right, although, you know, it, it wasn't a whole lot more rushing than I thought it was going to be. 118 for the Ravens, 104 for the Bills. You know, that's probably like the first time in a while we didn't get like 200 yards rushing at a single game. And I have to say, Devin Singletary, he's a pretty darn good back. When we were watching him against the Bills, he made some nice, I'm sorry, yeah, he was on the Bills. He was making some nice plays for the Bills. And he really looked good. And he was really their entire offense because in the passing game, they had to spread the ball out a lot. I mean, they had to spread it a lot. And we spread it a lot too, but it, it... Allen didn't even convert much at all. Again, 17 for 39. That's not even 50% completion. That's not good. That's not good at all. But Lamar had, of course, over 50%. Um, but the running game, you know, combined with the passing game, the Ravens offense was just good enough. It wasn't great. There were some plays we didn't like, some series we didn't like. But overall, they won. And I said time of possession was going to be crucial in this game because you had two teams that wanted to establish a ground game. The Ravens won time of possession 32-49 to 27-11. If the Bills won time of possession, they probably would have had another shot at scoring, and maybe they would have gotten it and ended up winning the game, or at least tying it. So time of possession is really critical in a lot of these games. Some people don't understand that because, you know, you get more opportunities, more extended drives with that higher time of possession. But the Ravens won it. Um, More total yards, more first downs. Ultimately, it was really close. It was really close, and the Bills are a good team. I think they're a legit team. They're going to go to the playoffs. But it was really, really close. And it was the Ravens' first real scare in a long time. At the end of the game, I should say, because the San Francisco 49ers put a scare on Baltimore as well. But when the Ravens had the ball at the end and Justin Tucker went out for the field goal, everybody knew he was going to make it. So no, they weren't really scared on the last play of the game. The Ravens against the Bills with that drive down the field, you know, that was like panic mode. Because everybody thought they were actually going to get it. The way the refs were throwing the flags, the way the momentum was. But again, Marcus Peters came up with the big pick. Now, speaking of Justin Tucker, as we move on to the Jets game, he had a missed extra point. That's his second of the year. You know, I don't want to say I'm concerned about Justin Tucker because... You know, he's gone so long without missing extra points. It was last year he missed his first one. Now he's missed two this year, though. I'm slightly concerned. Slightly concerned. You know, this isn't normal behavior for Justin Tucker. Um, No field goals last night, just extra points for him. Didn't need him in there. I don't know if the Ravens scored on every drive, but they... No, they didn't because they punted a few times, um, which... They punted, um, let's see here, I'm I'm just checking it up, four times. You know, Sam Cooke had pretty much been non-existent for the Ravens for weeks. And now he comes in and punts four times. 
Doesn't matter much, though, because the Ravens scored 42 points. Who actually cares how many times Sam Cook punts in a 42-point victory over the 21-point Jets here? Um, but again, you know, Justin Tucker was a bit scary, missing some of those extra points. Now, what I will say about the Ravens here, again, Mark Ingram on the ground was great. But the surprise MVP of this game was Seth Roberts. And I've been saying, I, I noticed, since he got that first touchdown, I was telling some people last night, since he got that first touchdown, I've noticed that he's really stepped up for the Baltimore Ravens. He's really put on his game face. He's been ready at all times for us to catch the ball, get some yards, maybe get another touchdown. It's really remarkable. And hats off to Seth Roberts coming in, really being what we thought was going to be another Chris Moore for us you know, early in the season, not doing a whole lot, maybe a few blocks here and there. I mean, blocking was a specialty, in all honesty. And we'll talk about blocking. Um, but we really didn't think he was going to do much receiving. And the Ravens spread the ball. I mean, you know, I was listening to the radio on the way back last night. And I mentioned it with the, the Buffalo Bills, spreading the ball out. Sometimes it's not great because you're not finding your targets enough and you're kind of spreading the ball out. But with the Ravens, with the way they spread the ball out, Everybody's getting involved. You don't know where it's going. There's really too many targets all over the field because last night, you know, Mark Andrews caught four balls. Marquise Brown caught four balls. Seth Roberts caught four balls. Hayden Hurst caught a ball. Willie Sneed caught a ball. Mark Ingram caught a ball. Miles Boykin caught a ball. Pat Ricard was targeted twice. One of them was by RG3, who who just put it way too low. Um, you know, as I like to call him now, RG4 for fourth quarter. Um you know, put it a little too low for him. But, you know, going back to Roberts here, 66 yards and a touchdown on the game. In recent weeks, he's really stepped up. And I've been, I mean, I've been very happy with Seth Roberts. I think we might want to keep him here again next year. I don't, I don't remember what his contract situation is. But he's been doing well for us in recent weeks. His best, you know, between weeks... Week four, right? The Ravens in week four went up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had caught a ball, at least one ball in the first three games. But between the Steelers and, you know, the Houston Texans, he hasn't caught that much. Against the Rams, though, he's got some few yards. He's had a few yards, you know, against the Buffalo Bills and San Francisco 49ers, not much. Um, but Houston, he had had a couple, had 15 yards, 39 yards against LA, 66 yards against the Jets. He's been slowly increasing his role in this offense, and I really like what Seth Roberts has done for us. I really do. Comparing him to Chris Moore, obviously Chris Moore. I don't even know if Chris Moore's caught a ball this year. I think he's caught maybe one. It's just been a tro. I mean, I don't want to say it's atrocious. Chris Moore presents some special teams value and a little bit of blocking value, but as a wide receiver, Chris Moore is, I think. Finito in Baltimore. He's done. What has he done for this Ravens team? Not much. He dropped the ball early in the season. He dropped the ball. Remember in the 2017, he dropped the ball and it became a pick because he tipped it right off of him in the final game of the year, the one against the Bengals? That's Chris Moore. You know, there's so many points where we think Chris Moore has the talent to do something. Just doesn't pull it together. And I don't want to keep piling on Chris Moore because I keep harping on Chris Moore. But he's been very disappointing, especially this year. And he's being outperformed by Seth Roberts. Not a great situation for him. 
Um, now I had someone, Chris M on Twitter, uh, one of my longtime followers, was asking me what I thought of Marquise Brown, whether or not he was the best pick for Baltimore. Um, this past offseason, not getting super involved in the passing game, I said to him, look, you know, he's a downfield threat. He hasn't been 100% healthy, but he's made plays for us. There's no question about it. He's made plays. And last night, he made another play. That toe drag touchdown, literally within inches of the sideline in the back of the end zone. It was spectacular. I'd love to see what he can do 100% healthy. I'd love to see a more expanded passing game. Because remember, this is this Ravens team is built on the ground first. First and foremost, this is a rushing team. Lamar Jackson, 86 yards on his own last night. 218 total rushing yards. They consistently get more rushing yards than passing yards. Last night, they got 212 passing yards. Marquise Brown, 4 for 45 and a touchdown, though. Pretty good for him. You know, he's a deep threat. He's a guy the Ravens aren't going to pass to him all the time, but when they do, they want to pick up some chunk yards. That's what he's here for. And we don't need him to be a Julio Jones, carry the whole offense type. Because the Ravens, as I, as I said, I was listening to talk radio, and they made, they made a great point on the way home last night. The Ravens don't need a number one wide receiver when everybody gets involved. There's no point. Mark Andrews, 52 yards receiving on four four receptions as well, a touchdown. Seth Roberts, a touchdown, 66 yards receiving on three receptions. Marquise Brown, four for 45, a touchdown as well. And everybody gets involved. And it's, it's really a unique way the Ravens play. And we see it every week. It's just so unique. Now, one complaint I have on offense, though, is in the fourth quarter, they, they kept Lamar in a little too much, I think. They, I think they kept him in two drives into the fourth quarter. Really don't want that. I mean, maybe he didn't want to come out. Maybe he was looking to break or tie Vinny Testaverde's record. We'll talk about that at the end of the episode here, before the end of the episode. Um, but I really would have preferred RG3 in the entire fourth quarter. There's no point when you're up by such a large amount, 42 to, what was it, 14 entering the fourth quarter? Actually, 42 to 40, 35 to 7 in the fourth quarter entering it. There's no point. There's absolutely no point to keep Lamar in there. Why? Just why? If he gets hurt, this all entire offense would collapse. I mean, not completely, because the ground game is still great. But RG3 can't do what Lamar does. He used to be able to, until Washington, you know, messed him up. And that's, again, another reason. I keep saying it every week. Why I love John Harbaugh is because he knows exactly what to do with Lamar. Just let him run loose and make sure he's... A lot of his runs go right to the sideline, right into the sideline. And that's a combination of Harbaugh and RG3 telling him to do that. And I love that. He gets 5, 7, 10 yards a rush walks out of bounds, and breaks a few ones down the middle here and there, just keep just keep at it. Just keep at it. Keep going out of bounds, avoiding the hits. That's what we want to see from this quarterback. Long-term sustainability from Lamar will make him a Hall of Famer. And we want to see that. Now, defensively for the Ravens, um, not a fantastic game at the end because of the 214 um Sorry, the two seven-point drives there at the end, yielding 14 points total. But throughout the game, the Ravens really, you know, did do well against the Jets. They let the Jets have some drives, you know, long drives, but they didn't let them convert any of them. 
I think one before the fourth quarter was, you know, there's one touchdown. I don't remember how that happened. But the Ravens defense was pretty locked down all night. Um, sacks, when we look at the sacks here, you know, there was a lot of pressure. And I, I give Tyus Browser a lot of credit with the only sack. He's had a much better year. If you don't remember, was it this year we cut Tim Williams? I don't even remember. I think it was this year we cut Tim Williams. But, you know, there was a lot of pressure on Tyus Bowser to step up because he was not doing enough as a pass rusher. And all of a sudden this year, he's getting quarterback hits. He's getting tackles. He's getting sacks. You know, he had two sacks against Houston. He had a sack here. He's had tackles um, in every game except one this year. So, you know, he's really been valuable for the Ravens this year, um, especially when Pernell McPhee got hurt because he hasn't been here for a while now. But but Matthew Judon had a uh, had a pressure. Ty Spouser had one pressure. Michael Pierce with a pressure. There was some real hard pressure. She had a ward with one who also picked up the forced fumble. There was some real pressure um, that the Ravens had on Sam Darnold all night long. He had to scramble at times. And he's a pocket passer. And he, you know, throwing on the run for him is not very effective. And I give him credit. He had some poise in there. But this offense around him just not good enough to with, with, uh, with, withstand this Ravens defensive onslaught, essentially, is what it is. You know, the only somewhat complaint I'd have for the defense is they got a little soft at the end. But it really doesn't matter. And, of course, Chuck Clark with that huge interception. I mean, that was thrown right to him, though. He was lucky to get that one. That was right there. But overall, I think this this whole game shows that the Ravens are serious business. You know, the Jets aren't a good team, but they're not playing down to competition like the Pittsburgh Steelers would. You know, if the Pittsburgh Steelers were running with this high of a record, they'd be playing down to competition. Baltimore has not done that all year long. And it's really remarkable that the Ravens, you know, are on this stretch. Now, of course, they do have to play... Cleveland next and Cleveland they did lose to Cleveland now I, I understand I tell people all the time that was a different team that lost to Cleveland that was before we revamped the entire team that was September of this year that was our last loss September haven't lost through October November now we're midway through December but that was a different team that lost to Cleveland if this Ravens team can beat Cleveland you know we're in a really good situation and of course we'll talk about what that would mean for our clinching scenarios um, very shortly here. But first, uh, I do want to acknowledge something we learned last night. Or maybe we didn't learn it last night, but the Ravens announced it last night, and that's what reminded me to talk about it today. Brandon Carr, cornerback, safety, defensive back for the Baltimore Ravens, um, frequently, frequently, you know, cited as one of the best guys in the NFL, again here is being nominated for the Walter Pan Payton Walter Pan Walter Payton Man of the Year award and honestly I could not be so much happier for Brandon Carr. He really I mean I don't think he's going to win it. You know, it, it's difficult. And but just being nominated for the award itself is a high honor in the National Football League. For those of you that, that don't know about the Walter Payton Man of the Year award, it's my favorite award given out every year. It's for someone in the league I think it's maybe it's only players. Anyway, it's for a player in the league 
and there was a year where two players won it, um, but it's for a player in the league who contributes to charity, bettering the community, being an overall great person in the National Football League, and it highlights some of these players. You don't, you, I mean, you don't see all the time what they do off the field. But Brandon Carr is, is really big. You know, they were naming them all off last night. Some of them I knew about, some of them I didn't. You know, children's literacy is a huge issue for Brandon Carr. Making sure kids can read. He puts a lot of time, a lot of his own money into it. This year, he's donating, I think it was $250,000. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was to the American Cancer Society or some sort of cancer organization. $250,000 um, in total. That's a lot of money. I mean, I know how much he makes, but it's... That's still, that's a lot of money. He took, he and, the, and the, a lot of his other Ravens players too, you know, they were highlighting it on the big board. I think Humphrey, Judon was there. I didn't see all of them that were there. Um, I think Bozeman was there. I wouldn't be surprised if Lamar was there. I just didn't see him on the video. I wasn't, you know, looking at every everybody. I couldn't, I couldn't tell um, on everyone. But $200 gift cards for an entire class of local Baltimore I think it was underprivileged children. $200 gift cards to go to Target and buy whatever the heck they wanted for Christmas. And a lot of them bought for other, for their family too, which is really shows you something there about people. But, you know, it's really something, this Walter Payton Man of the Year award, I hope he wins it. I'm not sure because there's, you know, there's a lot of guys up there every year. So many efforts by so many players to, to do well for their communities. It's really amazing. And I think, you know, it just highlights the best of it. And what I love about Brandon Carr specifically is he gets everybody involved. Every time I hear about Brandon Carr doing something, there's at least like four or five Ravens with him there doing it with him. And it's different. It's a lot of the same guys do it, but like, you know, a lot of different guys pour in every single time to help out Brandon Carr with all this amazing things he does. And, you know, that's just one player on the Ravens. We don't get to see what every player on the Ravens does, right? We don't on a daily basis. So, but again, I mean, huge congratulations to Brandon Carr because this is, in my opinion, it's better than the MVP award. If you win the Walter Payton Man of the Year award, it's a better award to win than MVP. But just being nominated is a huge honor because one from every team is nominated I think this is the second year in a row Brandon Carr was nominated. He was nominated, I think, a couple times on the other teams he was in, I think in Dallas. But this is a huge nomination for Brandon Carr. And really, again, you know, I don't know how many times I can say it, but congratulations to Brandon Carr, man. This is huge, um, really, really amazing stuff done by him and a lot of the other players on the Ravens who we don't hear about. So hopefully we will hear about them, though, because I'd love to see it. I'd love to talk about it with you guys. Um... Another thing that happened last night, Lamar just solidified himself as, as MVP if you weren't paying attention. Um, you know, maybe you didn't realize that. You know, he's been leading the MVP conversation for months now. But last night, really, honestly, I think puts the stamp on it. I think it's over. I think he's got it. I've been saying he's a front runner. I was saying I thought he was going to win it. But now, hands down, I think it's... It, I don't think there's anything anybody else can do now to beat Lamar Jackson in the MVP race. And let me tell you why. Lamar Jackson last night, and I know it's the Jets. I know. 15 for 23, 212 yards. Five passing touchdowns. Five. Tying the Ravens franchise record. Again, 
because I think he did it previously this season. I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure he did. And then on the ground, eight carries for 86 yards. No touchdowns, but it doesn't matter. 86 yards on the ground is, is wild. He had a 25-yard rush in there too. Now all that rushing puts Lamar Jackson at a very high mark. So high that maybe you weren't paying attention. But Lamar Jackson has just broken Michael Vick's all-time single-season record for quarterback rushing yards. Lamar Jackson is the all-time leader in single-season quarterback rushing yards. The old record, I believe, was 10-69. The new record, so far, I mean, there's two games left in the season. The new record is 11-103. I'm sorry, 11-03. 1,103 rushing yards. He has more rushing yards than most really good running backs. And I, and I say it all the time. You know, I thought Lamar Jackson, you know, coming out of college, yada, 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 wide receiver, based on what we had had at Louisville, I don't need to keep harping my own mistakes. But honestly, I think if he played running back, he'd be a consistent 1,000-yard rusher. I think if he played wide receiver, he'd consistently receive for 1,000 yards. He's just that kind of athlete that can do anything on the football field. I wouldn't be surprised if he could play defensive back. You know, he's just such a special, special player, special person, really. And his leadership skills. Every time someone else does something, he's the first one to congratulate him. And after the game, you know, um, Aaron Andrews was talking to him and Mark Ingram and asking, I think it was, I don't remember the full full conversation here, but he's asked, she's asking... Um, Lamar, you know, what it felt to break the single-season rushing record. He said it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And then she asked about, you know, he's all calm and in and, and his demeanor about the rushing record. Then he asks him about Mark Ingram and what he brings to the team, and his eyes light up. It just goes on and on and on about Mark Ingram and how special Mark Ingram is for this offense. I'm like, does this dude not even realize his own contributions to the offense? It's really remarkable that, you know, not a lot of quarterbacks, not a lot of players, not a lot of people in general would be, you know, that humble about themselves and praise someone else to such a degree. And he's right about Mark Ingram because Mark Ingram's a fantastic running back. And Lamar keeps just said that he wanted to get Mark to 1,000 yards this year at least. And Mark's, you know, less than 40 yards there. So he's going get, to get it next week, I would imagine. But he's just the kind of guy that, you know, even if he makes the pass for the touchdown, he's going to be the first one congratulating the receiver on a great catch. If he doesn't score on a 25-yard rush, Lamar Jackson, he's going to be the first guy hitting himself for it. There's not many players, not many leaders out there that do stuff like this. And it's really, really remarkable. And it just is a testament to Lamar Jackson his mother, really. I mean, obviously, you know, his agent slash mother. You know, it, it really is a testament out there to him. And another record, you know, he didn't break it last night, but he tied it, is the Ravens' single-season record. Now, this is, again, franchise single-season record for the Ravens here. Touchdowns for the year. 
Lamar Jackson has tied. Get this, he's tied not Joe Flacco, but Vinny Testaverde. You know, our first quarterback, Vinny Testaverde, 33 touchdowns in a year, that's the franchise record. Believe it or not, Flacco never threw for over 30. I think his best was 27. Now, granted, Flacco always had really, really good ground games, whether it was Ray Rice or Justin Forsett. I mean, there were a couple years he didn't have a good ground game. But, you know, when you're in, in the red zone at that point and you hand it to Forsett or, um, you know, Ray Rice and they score the touchdown, you can hardly blame Flacco for not throwing it. It doesn't really matter, but... A lot of the times, Lamar Jackson will be in the red zone and have an RPO. Except, except instead of handing it off, the RPO is to him to run or throw it. And last night, there was this one play where he's like running towards the end zone, and then he just steps back, and he tosses it. I think it was to Boyle, maybe? Or whoever it was that got that touchdown. I don't remember. Um, no, Boyle didn't even catch a pass last night. What am I thinking? Maybe it was... Um, Marquise Brown. No, it wasn't Marquise Brown. I think it was Mark Ingram. I think it was Mark Ingram. But anyway, I'll have to go back and look at that. doesn't matter. The point is, he's he's hitting touchdowns that other quarterbacks can't because they don't have that RPO option to do that, the run-pass option. They don't. And now he's at 33 touchdowns. He needs one more to break the single-season record. He's been breaking records all year long. He's had two perfect passer rating games. He has, I mean, this is a guy who we thought wasn't going to be able to throw. And by we, I mean me and a lot of people. Because what we saw last year was a quarterback who was very good at running the ball, good at managing the game, but plain bad at mechanics. That was a huge concern for me. But he fixed all those issues. Last year he had an average of, well, I mean, you know, it's I don't know if this accounts for um, all these games here. He had 1,200 passing yards in about seven games starting, right? He had a few passes before that. 58.2% completion. This year, 66.2%. 66.2% completion. 2,889 yards passing the ball. 33 touchdowns. Only six interceptions. Only six interceptions to, to 33 passing touchdowns. Quarterback record of 12 2 and 0 obviously you know it's a team stat but he's the best player on the team hands down 206 yards passing for a game quarterback rating of 112.8 qbr of 80.2 and then of course his rushing totals there he's going to have over 4,000 total yards this season and possibly i mean it's possible he reaches five but i don't think so the way this ravens offense is distributed he's not the only one rushing the ball and I think I'll sit out for the final game, and we'll talk about why. But he's breaking records all year long. Last time I checked, he was leading the entire Pro Bowl vote of all players. He's on track to win MVP. And you know he definitely deserves it. Now, so those are the things he did last night. The two records last night. He broke one, tied the other. I expect him to break the record this next week as long as he throws a single touchdown pass. Although it's possible he doesn't play next week. Not because he's injured. But because there is a clinching scenario. Get this. There's a clinching scenario for the first overall seed this week. This weekend. Yeah. This weekend the Ravens could clinch the first overall seed by sitting on their couch. Now, I did the math myself. So there's a chance that I'm wrong. 
But the Ravens are 12-2. and There are only two teams that can overtake them right now in the first seed um, battle. The New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I don't expect this to happen. But, but remember this. The Kansas City Chiefs has a, have a tiebreaker on the Ravens. The best the Kansas City Chiefs can finish is 12-4 and four because they are 9-4 and four right now. A couple of losses when Pat Mahomes was hurt and then the one to Tennessee when he wasn't. The best the, the New England Patriots can finish is 13-3. and three. So they can still over, definitely overtake the Ravens by a full game. The Kansas City Chiefs would have to rely on... Um, they'd have to rely on the Ravens losing the next two games to get the number one seed. There are no other teams in the AFC that could possibly overtake the Ravens. Buffalo could finish 12-4, and four, but... Um, the Ravens have the tiebreaker over them. Nobody else in the AFC. The Texans best can finish 11-5, so they're out of the, the first seed conversation. Um, there's simply no other team that can actually overtake the Ravens. If the Patriots lose, the tiebreaker for the Ravens kicks in, and no matter what, they hold the first seed or, or a seed over the Patriots. That's it. The the tiebreaker holds. The Kansas City Chiefs nine and four. If they were to drop to nine and five, if they were to drop to nine and five this week, and and well, first of all, then they wouldn't be able to overtake the, the Ravens. And if the pa- Patriots do the same thing, falling down a peg to twelve and uh, to best twelve and four, so they'd fit, be at ten and four right now. The Ravens have the number one seed with two weeks, two games remaining with no way for anybody to overtake them. Now, that's the clinching scenario for this weekend. So that's, first of all, it's amazing that it could be week 14. I'm sorry, week 15. We're in week 15, and the Ravens could clinch the first overall seed in the in the AFC conference. Of course, you know, clinching the AFC North is amazing to begin with at this point in the year. The Ravens never do this. It's always a last-minute thing. But here they are doing it now. Now, is this scenario actually going to happen? Well, we have to take a look at who these two teams play. I find it very unlikely that the Chiefs are going to lose to the Broncos. I mean, I know Drew Locke had a good game last week in his, his debut. But the Broncos, you know, they're just not that great overall. They're just not good. The Chiefs are really good, so that's a problem. And the Patriots are playing the Bengals. So, I mean, if the Patriots lost to the Bengals, I'd be laughing hysterically for maybe three hours straight. But there's no way it's happening. The Bengals are the worst team in football for a reason. At least they're not winless. I don't like to see winless teams, even if they're our rival. It's just, it, I mean, you know, it's bad for the league to have a winless team. So they're not winless. This isn't a win they need to be, you know, a one-win team. I don't think that either of these teams are actually going to lose. So there's another way the Ravens can clinch the first seed. And it's actually just beating the Browns next week. No matter what happens this weekend, if the Ravens get to 13 wins... Mathematically speaking, there's no way anybody else can catch up. Not a single team. And that means if they beat the Cleveland Browns this week, they go into a completely meaningless game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is why I think they might actually lose to Pittsburgh. Because if that happens, Lamar won't play, Mark Ingram won't play, Marquise Brown won't play, Mark Andrews won't play, everybody is going to stay healthy. Probably Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown are not going to play. They'll put in backup tackles. They'll let RG3, maybe Trace McSorley play. 
on offense. You know, Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, maybe even Marcus Peters could be out. There's a lot of guys who just wouldn't play in the final game of the season if the Baltimore Ravens beat the Cleveland Browns next week. Because what's the point of risking injury? Now the Ravens could still beat the Steelers, which would be hilarious with, you know, all backup players in still being the Steelers. I'm all for that. Sign me up. You know, I don't. It doesn't mind to me. Especially if we could knock Pittsburgh out of the playoffs. They're eight and five right now. I was trying to figure that out earlier. They're eight and five. They play Buffalo this week on Sunday night. You know, hopefully Buffalo can win that, push them down a peg just because of the Steelers. We literally have. As long as we win against the Browns, we literally have no skin in the game in Week 17. Absolutely none. Not a single outcome could hurt us or benefit us. We'd be at the top of the league. There's There would be absolutely no point in putting any starters out there. Just let Lamar rest. Let everybody get healthy. You'd have two weeks to prepare. Two weeks to prepare. Actually, tech, wait, hold on. We have, we have a essentially a bye week, a bye week, and then the week before. So we have essentially three weeks to prepare for a game. Would be outstanding. Now, granted, we do have to win in Cleveland first. And I understand Cleveland's not a good team. But you never know. You never know. You just don't. They're going to be desperate. They, I think they're technically still in the playoff hunt. I don't know what their chances are. But they'll be desperate. They're going to try to win this. So those are our clinching scenarios for the Baltimore Ravens here. And we've already clinched. We clinched the playoff first last week. We clinched the division title this week. Next week, we can clinch the first seed overall and say sayonara to the Patriots' dominance for the past few years because, I mean, maybe they do go to the AFC Championship, but they're not the first seed. And it's been a long time since they have not been the first seed. So that's going to conclude today's episode, going over those clinching scenarios. Please let me know what you thought about today's episode, Nest Talk 56. Again, you can find us now now on Spotify. We're actually going to be extending ourselves to more, more podcast um, hubs in the future, distributors in the future. So please um, be ready for that. That'll be fun. If you're on Stitcher or Google Play, we hope to be on those by next week. Um, of course, you can follow us at Nest Talk or you can find me at Chris Linfont or the Baltimore Feather at Be More Feather on Twitter. Make sure you just subscribe to the Baltimore Feather newsletter. Um, so all the new articles get put in your email inbox right away on BaltimoreFeather.com. Of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe again on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, make sure to follow us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Just search up the Baltimore Feather or Nest Talk. Next week, we'll come at you with a preview of the, the Cleveland Browns game. We have 10 whole days now, I think it is, to prepare for that game, um, which is fantastic. And then after that, we have one more game in the season until our playoff special. But, of course, we are starting to think about draft season because there are some players declaring for the draft now. Um, and as soon as the Ravens' season is over, we'll get right into draft talk because um, we're going to you know, stick through the playoffs. Even if it's not the Super Bowl, we'll stick through the playoffs, although I hope, I really think there is a good shot that the Ravens go to the Super Bowl this year. Um, so, again, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Nest Talk. Um, this is Chris Linfont signing out.